Hello, everybody. Y'all awake for Labor Day weekend? I'm so proud of you being in the house of God this week. And I'm telling you, there is no place I would rather be than worshiping God in a room full of people who love Jesus. So I'm so grateful to be with you today. I want to take a minute and say hello to our family joining us online at the Labor Day campus. Wherever you are, we're grateful you're joining us today. And a special shout out to those joining us from Upshur County Jail. Come on, let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. So grateful that you're with us today. Uh, before I get into the message today, I just wanted to remind you of something that is coming up. I've been announcing quite a bit, and that is the Unite Conference, which is not this Thursday. It is the next Thursday on September 15th. We have Dr. Darius Daniels, a, a pastor, an author, and a leadership coach is going to be there. I promise you, you want to hear him. And we have Dr. Caroline Leaf, a neuroscientist and an author. They're going to be talking a lot about leadership and mental health and leadership after what we've been through over the past few years. I hope that will encourage you. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, I'm not sure what you're waiting on because it's getting close. But how many of you, let me just see this. Let me just do this, okay, real quick. How many of you have not been, but you want to go to Unite? I'm going to give away two tickets to the first person that raises their hand. Okay, right here. Raise your hand real high. Pastor Gary is going to bring you two tickets to the conference this year. And... If you haven't got your tickets, you can get them in the lobby, or you can go to uniteandlead.com and get your tickets there, but that is next Thursday. Okay, we're going to pick back up on our Family Ties series today, and last week we took a break as we had a special guest with us, Pastor Jonathan Stockstill, and I pray you were encouraged by that message if you were here. I really do believe that it was a now word for our church. It was a word in due season for us as he talked about conquest and how God has land and territory for us to take in the spiritual realm, but I also believe as he and I spent some time driving around East Texas looking at what God wanted to do in this area, that there is still more land for us to take as a church. And so all of you who have been coming from the North Campus to the South Campus and all of you online from the North Campus, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep praying and believing because we believe that there's still more that God wants to do in the North Longview area. And all over East Texas, who knows what God wants to do. But what I do know is that the kingdom of God will expand until the day he returns. And so we're going to be a part of that, whatever it takes. Amen? Amen. All right, so keep praying for that. But as we go back into our Family Ties series today, this is the third week of this series. And we've talked about being tied to hope in the future for your family and how you can have hope in the future. But we also talked about the ties from the past and that was the last message that I did was talking about maybe some generational things or familiar things from the past that have kept you and your family from moving forward with what God has for you. And I gave you five questions to talk about with your family. And I want to encourage you that if you haven't had a chance to do that, to dig into those. I know I had a few people contact me and say, man, these were really hard as we started talking about them. It was very difficult. And, I, and, and they, they said it brought up some pain. And really, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to bring up the pain, but the goal is to surface things that you don't want to continue, patterns that you don't want to repeat. So I'm going to encourage you, don't give up on it. Take your time. You don't have to rush through this, but we don't want to repeat those generational patterns. So if you missed that, go back and look at those questions. But today, I want to talk about another part of family that is so vital to the family. It's one of the building blocks of family, and that is marriage. I want to talk to you today about marriage. It's an important theme in scripture. 
Because the Bible starts with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. Look at this, Genesis chapter two, when God created Adam and he said, hey, this isn't good that this brother's alone. We need to bring somebody alongside him. He's talking to the son and the Holy Spirit because God wasn't alone either, right? So Genesis 2, 23, look at this. Adam says this, at last. In fact, that's where Etta James got her song. At last, right? My love. I told you the Bible's full of love songs, okay? I don't make this up, it's there. Anyway, uh, he says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the first marriage, the first picture of this union that God set up in Genesis, Then you fast forward to the end of the book in Revelation. Revelation talks about a wedding, talks about a marriage. Revelation 19, 20, and 21, but Revelation 19, 7 says this, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. Who is the bride of Christ? We are, the church is, right? So there's this picture at the beginning of scripture of a marriage and a wedding and at the end of scripture of a marriage and a wedding. Marriage is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. It's very important to him because it's a part of his plan. It was the institution that he set up for us to see some things on this earth. And that is why it has been under attack since day one. See, the enemy cannot create anything. He can only pervert things. So from the very beginning, he's been trying to distort the picture of marriage, to distort what we understand to be this union of marriage and what it takes to have a marriage. And the same with your family. I told you all throughout the series, he hates your family. He doesn't want anything but to destroy your family and turn father against children, children against father, husband against wife. He wants to separate you because it is a picture that he hates. So he's been trying to distort it from the very beginning, specifically with marriage, because I believe that he knows if we ever got a true revelation of what marriage is, our relationship with Jesus would be transformed. And that is what he does not want. So as I talk to you today about marriage, I thought about, let me give a lot of practical things to help you in your marriage. Like, you know, some tell you, you need to text each other, you need to encourage each other, and all these practical things. And I thought, no, I do a love song series every year in February, and we talk a lot about those things, and we have life groups for marriage, and we have marriage counseling, and all of those things are good, but what I felt like from God I was supposed to do was give you more of an overarching biblical view of marriage so we can understand what God is really wanting with marriage. And I want to Start by saying this. I know that any time that you talk about marriage, I'm talking to a wide group of people who've been through suffering divorce, whether at your, your hands or at the hands of somebody else. I know there's broken relationships. I know there are people who are separated. I know that there's pain when it comes to talking about marriage. And I want you to understand that this in no way is meant to condemn or to bring shame or to bring hurt because we serve a God who restores and heals the brokenhearted. And that's why we have divorce care like you saw about today, because we wanna walk you through that process of healing and restoration. But it is also important that we understand the picture of what God meant for marriage to be so that it doesn't get distorted by our culture. So it's very important we talk about it today. So I'm asking you to listen with an open heart and open ears to what the Holy Spirit would wanna say to you. So I'm calling this message today, Tying the Knot. Tying the knot. Because how many of you know when people get married today, what do they say? You guys are 
tying the knot. In East Texas, you may have heard a different phrase that I heard, and that is, you guys are getting hitched. I don't know where that came from. I don't understand it, maybe other than hitching like a wagon or a trailer up to a truck. That's all I can think of. Maybe it's like we're now connecting through a hitch, but I like not better. In fact, uh, it's more universally understood possibly. But at a lot of weddings today, they'll have like this glass case at a special part in the ceremony where there's a loose knot in this glass case and the bride and the groom will pull that knot together and it will get tight. And it's the picture of the two tightening together into one knot. And I believe it's important we even use that language because I think that everything today is working to untie the knot of marriage, to unravel what we think and understand marriage is. So to start today, I want to jump into Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. It's one of the longest passages on marriage in the scriptures, and it's written by Paul. And Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, and this was a letter to the entire church, by the way. And I find it ironic that Paul talked about marriage a lot because Paul was never married. So this guy, though, he understood marriage. And you're going to see why at the end of this passage he understood marriage so much. But there's so many profound things in this passage. What I want to do is read you this whole passage. And then I want to pull some things out of it that will help us to keep tying the knot. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21. It says, and further... And just by the way, he's saying, and further, remember this is one letter that was read. He's coming out of a section where he's talking about living empowered by the Holy Spirit, which by the way is what you need for your marriage to work. You need the Holy Spirit. That wasn't a joke. I was being serious. (laughs) And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, is Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Now, men, this is a good chance not to elbow your wife, okay? This isn't like, hey, you hear what he's saying? Woman, you better submit to me, right? That's, in fact, ladies, elbow your husband and say, wait, he's about to talk to you. Because, <laughs> come on, this, the next part's even worse. For husbands, it's, it's better, it's better, I'm sorry. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. Now look at how beautiful this language is, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. That's my problem right now. I'm really feeding and caring for my body. (laughs) Too much. Uh, Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. Now look at what he's saying. He's referencing Genesis here. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say... Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. As he's summarizing what he just said, he gives two really big keys there. He says, men, you ought to love your wives as Christ loved the church, and women, you ought to 
submit out of respect to your husband. Love and respect. In fact, there's a great book called Love and Respect on Marriage. I would encourage you to read it if you have not, because the greatest need of a woman is love, and the greatest need of a man is respect. But what I want to do is pull out of that, in really an overarching view of Scripture, really three things that I believe that will help us to tie the knot that we see in Scripture of marriage, or to keep tying the knot, if you will. The first one is this. We have to understand what marriage is, that marriage is sacrifice. Not a lot of amens on that one. (laughs) Marriage is sacrifice. When I I first got married to my wife, Tandra, we've been married for 16 years. We're going on 17 next year. But at our, yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. On our wedding day, uh, there was a couple there who had been married for over 50 years. And we said, what does it take? Like, what's the best advice that you could give us to help in our marriage? And they said, you cannot outserve each other. You cannot out-sacrifice for each other. A successful marriage is two people trying to out-serve each other. And this is actually the opposite of what we see in marriage today. In fact, most marriages that don't work, they don't work because people are really in it for themselves. They're in it for what they can get out of it, not what they can bring to it. But that's not the way Paul starts this passage in Ephesians 5.21. What does he say? Submit to one another out of mutual respect for Christ or reverence for Christ. What we see in this picture is mutual love, mutual submission, and mutual sacrifice is what it takes for marriage to work, where he said, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, lay down your life for her as Christ laid down his life for the church. This is the picture of what Jesus did. He's showing us that what Jesus did on the cross is what it takes for marriage to work. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. That means that for marriage to work, you have to die. Pastor, you're supposed to encourage me today. I am encouraging you. If you want it to work, (laughs) you've got to die. And some of you are like, I feel like I'm dying right now in this marriage. She's suffocating me. I don't have any room to breathe. I feel like I'm losing who I was. You're supposed to. You're supposed to lose who you were. You're supposed to die to yourself. You're supposed to die to your will. You're supposed to die to your ego. You're supposed to die to your selfishness. Your attitude is supposed to die. Maybe some preferences are supposed to die because we come into marriage with preferences that we make laws, but they're really just preferences. That the way we do things, right? Some of y'all are talking about them right now, right? Just can't stand the way she brushes her teeth. You know, like, that doesn't matter. Like, just let it go, you know? But for some of you, it's a lot deeper than that, right? Some of y'all are getting some freedom right now. Fine, brush your teeth how you want. I don't care. Um, let the water run anyway. That's a personal thing. That's a personal, that's, I'm working through some things. <laughs> yeah, just leave your clothes. I don't care, you know, but you're supposed to die to your preferences. Okay. Some of you have to die to stronger things like die to the way that you spoke before marriage. Well, my family, we just yelled at each other. Not anymore. You don't, you, you have to die to the way you used to do things. We, I, I used to be able to do whatever I want whenever I want. Not anymore, you don't. Your schedule has to die. And, right? This is the picture of what it takes. And I can tell you time and time again, when I see a marriage that's healthy, when a mar- I see a marriage that's successful and working, I see two people who are continually dying to themselves 
to make it work. And that's why I didn't give you all of the practical things to start because all of those things are great and you need to do all the, you need to have date nights, you need to text each other and encourage each other, you need to keep the fire hot. But in reality, if you don't die to yourself, those things are temporary fixes. In the long run, you'll still be going back to going, where do we start again? You have to die to yourself. Just as Jesus laid down his life for the church, the church lays down their life for him. It's this picture of sacrifice. This is what marriage is. It's two people dying and being resurrected as one. You weren't meant to survive marriage. You're supposed to resurrect as one. And so the sacrifice that marriage is leads to the second thing, and that is marriage is oneness. Oneness doesn't come without sacrifice. But the word one or oneness is what the Bible uses more than anything else to describe marriage. In Genesis, Jesus said it. Here in Ephesians, remember he said that in the end of Ephesians 5. I'm actually going to read you a few verses because sometimes we can skip over a couple verses in there that I think are really powerful. Ephesians 5, 28, he says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we're members of his body. But then he goes and he quotes Genesis again. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. There is this constant picture of oneness. And I think this is fascinating, even in the way that God created man. God created Adam. And then out of Adam, he brought Eve out of her, his side, not under his foot, by the way, men. That's because you weren't meant to step on her. She's meant to come alongside you. That's a, free, that's a free nugget today. But he brought Eve out of Adam. So one became two, and then in marriage, they become one again. So you, your uniqueness is there, but you're now merged together back into one. This is the constant picture we see in Scripture of oneness, which means it's no longer me, but we. No longer my preference, but ours. No longer my, but us, right? That's the picture of oneness. And the reason I read you those few verses before when he says that no one hates his own body, but a man who loves his wife actually loves himself. Because it's very easy in, in marriage or in any relationship, but specifically marriage because you're one, it's very easy to start this competitive thing where you're trying to constantly win or one up so you can feel like you're in control of the relationship. And the ironic thing about that is, is that when you hurt your spouse or you fight your spouse, you're actually fighting yourself. When you hurt your spouse, you're actually hurting yourself. I can remember times in my marriage where I can argue. Like, I mean, I, I'm pretty good at putting a case together for what I want. And my wife is not. She will tell you I'm not a good arguer and it's not fair. And I, and I unfortunately have taken advantage of that at times in my marriage. But I can remember times getting into a disagreement and I would say something that would be harsh and cutting, and I thought it was going to feel good because I was winning. But what it did is as I saw her hurt, I actually hurt because I was cutting myself. I was destroying myself. I was destroying the oneness that God created for us. And in doing so, I destroyed the intimacy that God desired to be there. You see, the key to oneness is intimacy. If you want to be one, there's got to be intimacy in your marriage. I don't, have you, I don't know if you've heard this before, but the word intimacy, if you break it down, it just means into me, you see. 
If you want to have intimacy in your marriage, you have to allow your spouse to see into the hidden things in your heart. There can be nothing hidden. It can look good on the outside, but if there's something hidden in the dark, it's going to fester in the dark, and it's going to destroy the marriage. And I thought about that in a picture this last week as my daughter and I, Emma, she was making me um, a bagel. We were sharing this bagel, and it was an everything bagel. I don't know if you like everything bagels, but I love everything bagels. And so she, amen, someone amen to bagels. <laughs> Whatever it takes. So <laughs> she made these everything bagels. I was going to eat half, she was going to eat half. And it had cream cheese on it. And then she sprinkled these, y'all know Dots pretzels? Dots pretzels are the best pretzels on earth. And she sprinkled these Dots pretzel crumbles on the top. So it was about to have like the creaminess of the cream cheese and the crunchiness and the saltiness of the Dots pretzels. It was going to be a great bite. And then I picked up the bagel and underneath the bagel, it was molded. Yeah, see? But from the top, it looked great. From the outside, it was about to be delicious. But what was hidden in the dark ruined the whole thing. And this is the, re the reality in your marriage, is that even if it looks great from the outside, whatever's festering in the dark will ruin the entire marriage. That's why intimacy is so important in your marriage relationship where nothing is hidden. That's what God created it to be. Genesis 2, 25, in the very beginning, he said, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Men, I know you want to use this on date night. I know y'all have used this scripture for like, you hear what he's saying? This is the Bible, baby. It's not me. You know, like I'm just reading the word. I'm just reading the word. Maybe I've said it. I don't know. But this is not. <laughs> don't look. Don't look over there. But that's not the context. Feel free to use it, but it's not the context. You need to understand the context. The context is there's nothing hidden. Therefore, there was no shame. Everything is transparent. Therefore, there was no shame. Shame enters in as soon as you start to hide things, as soon as you begin to cover. And we live in a culture today that values hiding things. They will create avenues for you to hide things, especially on social media. One of the number one things that's listed in divorce is a relationship that started through a DM. That's a direct message or a private message. You hear people say, slide into my DMs. You better not slide into my DMs. If you do, there's about four, five, six other people looking into my direct messages, by the way, including my wife. So that you cannot slide up in there. I'm not saying you would, but I'm saying, listen, if it's private and you're married, it doesn't need to be there. In fact, they've added vanish mode now where you can make it disappear. I remember years ago when an app called Snapchat came out and people were posting these pictures with all these filters. And I was like, babe, look at this app. I should probably get it. And she was like, what does it do? And I told her, she's like, no, you're not. That's a cheater app. I said, what? She said, yeah, if that message disappears, anybody can cheat. And I'm like, that's a great point. So I've never had it. But here's the reality. The world will find ways for you to hide things. And as soon as you start to hide things, you have to hide the thing you were hiding over and over and over again. This is how marriages are destroyed, is that you cover things and the enemy brings shame in and tells you you have to keep covering those things. Just like Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves and try to cover themselves and hide, we've been hiding ever since. But this is not the way God created it to be. He intended for there to be full transparency and intimacy. And if you want intimacy in your marriage, I'm just telling you, you have to allow the hidden parts of you to be seen by your spouse. 
And the practical ways to do that are, are you can pray together. You can study the word together. You can go on walks together. You need to go on date nights together. Those are the practical things that you can do. In fact, I want to give you something practical that you can do. Our team put together these notebooks in the lobby. These are just couples date night adventure challenges. And it talks about different things that you can do, different types of dates you can go on to keep intimacy alive in your marriage. It talks about sharing strength and growth areas and communication These tools are free for you in the lobby if you want them. Pick them up on the way out. I want to give you the practical too, but I want you to realize if you don't sacrifice, you won't get this intimacy and this oneness. And as soon as transparency leaves, intimacy leaves. And when intimacy leaves, oneness leaves. But God desires oneness, even in his relationship with you. Look at John 15, 4. This is what Jesus said. He said, abide in me and I in you. That's you living in me, and I'm living in you. That's a lot of intimacy. That's a oneness where we are living so closely together that we're one. He said, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus's desire for his relationship with you is intimacy and oneness. And look at the byproduct of that intimacy and oneness, fruit. Fruit is the byproduct of healthy intimacy. Fruit is the byproduct of a healthy marriage. It's a part of actually what God charged Adam and Eve with in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply, right? Multiplication or fruit, you could say in the context of a marriage, is children. It's the byproduct of a healthy relationship. But it's not the focus. Just like in your relationship with God, if fruit becomes the focus, you lose the intimacy and the fruit. But if you focus on the intimacy, the fruit keeps coming. And what I've seen today is some people will focus on the fruit of their kids versus their intimacy and their relationship. And I'm not talking about kids today. That's another week. We'll get into that. But what I have seen is that we see more empty nesters divorcing today than ever before. Because once the kids have moved out of the house, they had no no more intimacy with their spouse. They were just tied to their kids. They weren't tied to their spouse. But the knot that holds is marriage. That's why you can't focus on the fruit, but you focus on the intimacy in marriage. So marriage is sacrifice, and out of that sacrifice, it leads to this intimacy and this oneness. And the third picture or thing that we see throughout Scripture is that marriage is covenant. Marriage is covenant. It's the language of marriage. In fact, when, when you get married on your wedding day, you had something called vows, A vow is a covenant. A vow is a bond. And you all probably said something similar to this, that I I commit to you or I'm vowing to you in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, right? You you say these things because you're saying no matter what life brings, no matter what circumstances come our way, we're in this together. And then you say until death do us part. In other words, death was the only thing that was meant to separate a covenant marriage, But we live in a world that everyone is looking for a way out. Even in Jesus's day, people were always looking for a way out. Look at Mark chapter 10. Uh, This is a parallel passage to Matthew 19. And in Mark 10 too, it says that these Pharisees came and they were trying to trap Jesus with a question. They often did this. They said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And I love in Matthew 19, they added, for just any reason. (laughs) That's broad. But in verse 3, it says that Jesus answered them with a question. He was, he's so good at that. He never, he just like, let me ask you a question. What did Moses say about the law, uh, in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they said. 
He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. In other words, he was saying from the beginning, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. In fact, in Matthew 19, he says that. He actually says this is not what God originally intended. Verse 7 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Jesus is now quoting Genesis. And the two are united into one. But then he adds this. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That's why we say until death do us part. That nothing was meant to break this bond. Nothing was meant to break this covenant. In fact, if you go a little further into Mark chapter 10... We read about the rich young ruler, and we talked about the rich young ruler in the first message in this series. And you remember when Jesus was telling the disciples because the rich young ruler could not leave his money and follow Jesus. He said, I tell you the truth that anybody who has left father, mother, brother, sister, property for my name's sake. Do you notice a relationship he left out? He didn't say spouse because you were never meant to walk away from your spouse. It was the one relationship that you don't leave. It was meant to be a bond that didn't break. You see, it's the the counter of what the culture teaches us today. Covenant language is so counter the culture because the culture will tell you, get what you want out of it. And as soon as you quit getting what you want out of it, then you just go ahead and get out of it. If you're not happy anymore, leave. If you're not getting what you want, get out of it. Covenant's counterculture. Our culture values... Uh, comfort over commitment, convenience over covenant. But the Bible is full of covenant language. And the reason that covenants break is because our hearts get callous, the Bible said. When our hearts get callous, we concede the relationship. But this is not what God intended. And what I've found in life is that you find what you're looking for. If you look for the bad in your marriage, you'll find it. You'll find it real quick. If you look for the good in your marriage you'll find it. If you look for a way out, you'll find it. But if you look for a way to stay in, you'll find it. You find what you're looking for. And this is what covenant does. Covenant looks for a way to stay in, not a way out. It looks for a way to say, how can I keep this covenant? How can I keep making this stay in? How can I keep this bond together? And I'm so thankful for a God who is a covenant God who did not look for a way out, but he looked for a way to stay in. In the Old Testament, it's the story of the Old Testament. He is a covenant-keeping God when we didn't deserve it. When his people kept being an adulterous people, he called them a harlot because they kept going after other gods, worshiping other gods. Their heart was leaving him. They were committing adultery on God. And even in the New Testament, after he sent Jesus, there were letters written to churches that said, you're an adulterous generation because you still want to be friends with the world. You won't just go all in with me. I'm so grateful that God did not look for a way out on us because if anybody had an opportunity, he had an opportunity. We serve a covenant-keeping God who is teaching us how to be covenant-keeping people. Marriage is covenant. It's meant to be this picture of unbroken love. That's the whole picture that he's trying to get us to see. And if we go back to Ephesians chapter five, remember, This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, which means that Paul would get up, not Paul, whoever got the letter, he wrote it. 
and he, they would read to the entire church this letter. Like I read to you the entire passage there. They would read this out loud. Just like on your wedding day, when you give your vows, you give them publicly. And you would say before God and these witnesses, I'm making a covenant to God first, and I'm making a covenant to everybody in this room that I'm going to uphold these vows. Which means your bridesmaids and your groomsmen and all the people there aren't there just to look good. They're there to hold you accountable. They're there to say, hey, we were there when you made that covenant. We're going to help you stay strong in that covenant. And in the same way, when this letter was read openly to the church, he was saying, hey, the whole church needs to understand what this marriage is. That way, the whole church can be a part of helping the marriages stay together. I believe that biblical marriage is not a private matter. It's a family matter. The problem is, is that people want their marriage to be a private matter. They'll publicly say, I'm committed, but privately they'll break up. And here you have a group of people who are willing to fight for you, to say it's important that you stay in this. We'll encourage you. We'll strengthen you. We'll hold you up. Why? Because it's the picture. It's the picture that the world sees. Marriage is the illustration of how Christ loves the church. It's important that the world sees how much God loves us through our marriage relationships. That's what we're all called to fight for the marriages. If you're not married, that's okay. Fight for the marriages in this church. If you never want to be married, that's okay. Pray for and fight for the marriages in this church because it is the picture of how Christ loved the church. Paul says it's the mystery revealed. Not that it's a mystery like we can't understand this. No one could ever understand. No, it's the mystery that's revealed because what before there wasn't a picture on this earth to show, there is now. Marriage is that picture. And this is what it reveals. That Jesus sacrificed for us to become one with us, to keep his covenant to us. He sacrificed to become one with you to have a relationship with you, intimacy with you, and keep his covenant with you for the next life. That's what marriage is meant to be. It's the picture of how Christ loves the church. And I wanna encourage you today, it's worth it. It's worth fighting for. It's worth staying in because it's the message of the gospel to a hurting world. My prayer is that the world would look in at my marriage and the marriages in this church and say, I wanna know that picture of grace, that picture of mercy, that picture of love. How can I have that kind of relationship with God? That they wouldn't see us, that they would see him in our marriages, amen? And I wanna encourage you today, no matter where you are, if you've been through a divorce, if you're on your sixth marriage, if you're hurting and broken right now, but you wanna be married one day, you can have hope for your marriage that if you will submit it to God, if you will do it God's way, if you'll look at what his word says, he will restore and heal your marriage relationship. Because the greatest relationship you can have on this earth is your relationship with Jesus. And the second greatest is the relationship with your spouse because it's a mirror picture of your relationship with Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to invite my wife to join me. And I want to just take a minute and, and pray for all of us. Pray for the marriages in our church. Pray that this picture would be revealed in people. So if you're with your spouse, would you just put your arm around them, take them by the hand, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for what you did for us, Lord, by dying on the cross for us so that you could have intimacy with us, that we could be one with you, God. And I thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you are faithful to the end, God. Even when we've been unfaithful, you are faithful. 
And I just pray for every marriage represented here today, God. I pray for strength. I pray for courage, Lord. I pray for covenant to stay strong, God. I just pray that every single one of us would die to ourselves and, and awaken to this oneness and this intimacy that you desire, Lord. Let our marriages be a picture to our hurting world of your undying love for us. I pray that you would heal the brokenhearted today, that you'd bring hope to those who feel hopeless today, God. For those that feel like maybe they will never be married again, but they want to be, I pray that you would bring hope right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. And I want to, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I, uh, I, I've never really seen that picture. And what it takes really to have a relationship with Jesus is that you die to yourself. You have to lay down your life to pick up his life, to become one with him. And that covenant is a lifetime commitment to follow Jesus. And maybe today you haven't done that. And you're saying, I'm being drawn by the Holy Spirit to just go all the way in with him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you that opportunity to make a public commitment to that. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so that I can see you and say, I'm, I'm, I want to go all in. I want to lay down my life. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you guys. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you very much. That's you. I want to, I want to lead you in a prayer. Let's all pray this as really a vow renewal to God today. It's a great thing to do. Let's just say, Jesus, I come to you. I commit my life to you. God, I turn from my old life and I pick up your life. I choose to follow you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those that made that decision? Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.